A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories usually written and read by me, Damien Robb. But today we're very lucky to have a guest story written and read by my brother, Jonathan Robb. We'll get to this episode's story shortly, but first, I want you to imagine you are walking on a beach. The sun is high, the sky is blue, the water is picturesque and inviting. But the scene is a lie, one exposed by the cut of orange webbing slicing through the view towards swimmers away from the water. A warning that has come too late for you, because you are already infected. Okay, you ready? Good. This episode's story is entitled... Persistence. The pain woke her. She bit down a whimper but couldn't stop her body contracting in a ball as her throbbing muscles spasmed. Tegan opened her eyes, already exhausted, and saw it was still dark. Her arms stretched out and found an empty expanse of mattress. The taste of copper coated her tongue and she wanted to spit but her mouth was too dry. She threw back her sheets, shivering at the exposure. Her skin was feather-touch-sensitive, and the spread of goosebumps was like a wave of cinders prickling her flesh. She stood and clutched a cluttered dresser until her head stopped spinning and staggered into her ensuite. Her eyes watered as she flicked on the light and she blinked, focusing on her reflection in the mirror. She found three black-headed boils on her right arm, two on her left, and one nestled in the fold of her right eye. They looked like burnt heads of matches buried in her skin, each surrounded by a halo of wet red flesh. She realised she was hunched, and she straightened, her teeth grinding against the sensation of overstretched ligaments. Her fingers fumbled with her singlet as she pulled it over her head, a cry jumping from her throat, harsh and brittle in the quiet. She wriggled out of her underwear and stood naked on the tiles, a gleam of sweat now covering her body despite the pre-sunrise cold. She would have found her reflection satisfying if not for the ten black boils standing out like bullet holes on her breasts and abdomen. She pushed the frosted glass of her shower door to the side and stepped into the sterile box. A ledge was built into one of the walls designed to hold shampoo bottles and soap, and she lifted a scalpel from it with fingers that trembled. She squeezed the metal handle, and the shaking stilled. The touch of the blade tipped to a boil on her left arm was like a cherry-hot poker driven hard into her tender tissue. Her neck locked as she repressed the screaming of her nervous system, and she eased the metal edge through the inflamed skin and under the black core. She couldn't stop her chest from heaving, her breasts ragged, shallow things, but her movements were slow and deliberate as she twisted the blade. She thought briefly of coring an apple. Her knuckles were white around the scalpel as she lifted it, keeping it level, a small black ball balanced on its flat in a pool of blood. She chewed her lip as she moved, and the musical sound of metal on ceramic rang as she tapped the blade down on the shower ledge. The parasite tumbled onto the shelf's tiles, and she finally let herself register the thunderhead of pain bottled within her arm, her body buckling around it. 
She counted to 30 before wiping away tears and focusing on the microscopic crustacean. It glistened with her blood, its black exoskeleton painted red. She leaned in and picked out the tiny pins of its legs and the almost imperceptible stalks protruding from its head. She stabbed down, the pinpoint tip of the scalpel breaking the parasite with the sound of a seed popping between fingernails. She felt a grim satisfaction that gutted as she looked to the next boil. She worked through those she could see first and did the rest by touch. She had found using the mirror disorientating, her reflection moving opposite to how she anticipated. Extracting the crustacean from beside her eye felt like ramming the scalpel down to its handle into her skull and it was five minutes before she could control herself enough to skewer the squirming pest. Droplets of blood patterned the shower floor like some giant inkblock test, but she felt too lonely and weak to want to know what she'd see in it. She turned the tap and watched the water turn pink and disappear down the drain, carrying with it a handful of dissected black corpses. She was clean again for another day. A bell hanging on the back of the door rang as Tegan pushed it open and she stepped into the air-conditioned cool of the small grocery store. Long halogen globes lit the cramped aisles of shelving and she noticed some of the sections were bare of the usual crowd of foodstuff. She plucked a plastic basket from the pile by her feet and shuffled into the aisles. She found the tin soups and began transferring a few to her basket. The meagre weight of the cans caused her new wounds to split and she paused, nostrils flaring, while she suffocated the pain. She felt a trickle run down her arm and thought to get more band-aids while she was there. The tin in her hand was dressed with a label depicting a sumptuous bowl of chicken and vegetable soup and her stomach revolted at the thought of food, lurching until she tasted bile. She lowered the can into her basket, nevertheless. She wandered through the store, past the empty milk fridges and abandoned bakery section, trying to stimulate the smallest hint of appetite. After ten minutes her body ached and she was so tired it felt as if weights had been strapped to her limbs. She made her way to the register with only her five cans of soup and a box of band-aids filling her basket. A thin-faced man with silver hair and a round gut stood behind the register, his eyes looking through a pair of glasses at a newspaper. He glanced up and a look of pity sagged his features. She found it within her to smile, but it was a dry thing. He returned her greeting with a soft smile of his own, but his eyes remained drawn. Dahl, you are looking pale. Are you doing all right? Good morning, Martin. I'm okay, thanks. She dropped the basket on the floor and began lifting cans to the bench, repressing a frustrated sigh as her arms shook. You could have fooled me. Pardon my saying so, but you look like death. You giving any more thought to the treatment? I'm not that bad. She bit her tongue as the basket's edge found a wound on her leg. You getting much business? He puffed out his cheeks and let his breath go in a burst. Nah, not really, but I'll stay open. Thank God you are, she smiled, stretching the hollows of her face. I'd probably be eating old tins of dog food from the pantry by now if it wasn't for you. He raised a brow and grunted and began tapping at the keys of his till. Yeah, at least I could do. I took a swim that day along with everyone else. Why those things stayed away from me, I don't know. But they say I'm immune, so if I can stay here, I might as well do some good. You're keeping us going, Martin. His eyes flickered over her face, regarding her through his spectacles. I don't think I am, Dale. Why don't you get the treatment, eh? It's killing me watching you waste away like this. I know the side effect seems bad, but surely it's better than dying. We've had five deaths already, you know. And twenty who's recovered. I'll take those odds. She handed out a bill, and he exchanged it for her bag of groceries. Think about what you have to live for. I am. She smiled against the pain as she lifted the bag from the bench. Thanks, Martin. 
He shook his head and waved a farewell as she strolled away between the shelving. An elderly woman toddled from around the head of the aisle and Tegan stepped to the side to let her pass. The woman looked up, her eyes darting to the fresh wound on Tegan's face. Oh dear. Her skin was like warm weathered silk as she laid a hand on Tegan's arm. Oh, I'm sorry, love. How are you holding up? Tegan felt tears pushing behind her eyes and blinked to hold them back. I'm okay. You hang in there, all right? I will. Thank you. The old woman patted her hand, her face creasing as she smiled, and then she continued down the length of the store. Tegan took a shuddering breath, allowing, just for a minute, the ever-present ache in her muscles to wash through her. She drooped, then straightened, and headed out of the shop into the heat of the day, the bell ringing as she left. She let her bag drop onto the floorboards and collapsed into the closest dining set chair. Her head fell into her folded arms on the table and she closed her eyes, blocking out the sunlight splashing through her house, wanting only darkness for a moment. Martin's words were an echo she couldn't help but hear. I know the side effect seems bad, but surely it's better than dying. She sat up, but kept her eyes shut, laying her hands flat on the tabletop. She tried to orientate herself spatially, envisioning the open plan of the kitchen behind her and the lounge room to her right, then stood. She rocked on the balls of her feet and clutched the table's edge to regain her balance. Once she was sure of herself, she set out. With her eyes closed, she found her sense of distance warped, hands flailing as she anticipated finding a wall but hitting only empty air. She stubbed her toe into the leg of the coffee table, pain corkscrewing through the digit, but she smirked at the sensation. It seemed a shallow thing compared to what she endured each morning. Her knuckles smacked into the frame of a bookshelf and she patted at the aligned spines, pulling out a book. It opened in her hands and the pads of her fingers traced a dry page. It was smooth to her touch and blank in her mind's eye. She let the pages flitter, each uniform and empty in the darkness, until the cover closed. She fumbled the book back into its slot and let her hands guide her along the wall. She struck a photo frame, it leaping from its hook, and she slapped her palm against it to stop it from falling. She knew the photo well and loved the memory it captured of her family, but as she turned it between her hands it was only cold glass and rough wood. Tears leaked between the gaps of her eyelashes and she sunk to her knees and sobbed, photo clutched tight to her chest and eyes squeezed shut. The lapping of the water lulled her already sleep-deprived body and she was tempted to let her knees buckle and collapse into the warm, soft sand. Instead, she kept her tired body moving, strolling further along the curve of beach. Harsh orange plastic netting had been strung between sand and ocean, keeping away anyone who had had their heads buried for the past two weeks and still thought it a good idea to go for a swim. The barrier cut across the marine landscape like a line of graffiti, but the beauty of the scene still stirred her. She supposed she should feel resentful towards the calm blue bay, the source of her infestation but the smell of salt water and the cry of gulls soaked into her frail bones, soothing her. She wandered, her feet leaving a waving line of prints in the sand behind her, content to keep her throbbing limbs marching and her mind blank. She hurt and was exhausted, but knew she would feel the same at home and was sick to her stomach of her empty bed. She followed her feet and they led her, inoxorably, to the surf club. The grey brick building squatted on the margin of sand and grassy scrub, a newly erected white medic tent perched outside its entrance. A bored-looking young man sat at the fold-out table under the shade of the canvas, a pen twirling in one hand. 
his fingers of the other flicking at the screen of his phone. Tegan stopped, but found the act of standing at trial, her knees shaking as she fought to remain upright, so she lowered herself cross-legged into the warm, dry sand before her legs gave out. Grains shifted under her skin, abrasive like a cat's lick, and she hoped when the time came she'd have the energy to stand again. Movement caught her attention and she looked to see a middle-aged woman being escorted from the surf club's double doors through the white tent. Even with the distance she could see the pearly, circular scars on the woman's arms where budding crustaceans had been dug away and she absently traced her own scars. An ebony-skinned man in blue scrubs guided the woman, one large hand resting on the centre of her back. Tegan reasoned he must be one of the immune, now volunteering his time. She could see his lips moving as he fed a stream of words to the woman, who nodded and clutched tight to his other arm. The woman's head swivelled, her mass of auburn curls bobbing on her head, and Tegan saw her eyes. A fog of cataract dulled the irises and pupils. It looked as if she'd stared at the sun too long, and the colour had been bleached from her orbs. The treatment had expelled the hibernating crustaceans from her body and taken her vision as payment. A cry splintered the air, and suddenly the woman's arms were windmilling, her upper body careening forward while her feet tap-danced on the pavement, trying for purchase. The volunteer hooked an arm under her waist and pulled her upright, while speaking in the hushed tones usually reserved for frightened animals. The woman broke into heaving sobs and she refused to move, just hanging her head and crying. The man held her hand and kept at his consoling, and after a minute she took a small, shaky step. The breeze changed and Tegan caught the man's words. You can go meet your family and hear their voices. You must have missed them. Won't it be good to be with them all again, to hold their hands? They'll just be happy you're okay. The woman was nodding again, desperate to take in the offered comfort. The two followed the footpath to the parking lot behind the surf club and the man helped the woman into a blue sedan, explaining each step of what he was doing. The purr of an engine sounded then winded down as the car pulled away. She watched the empty car park for a moment, then skipped her gaze at the bored young man still at the table, waiting for the next patient to present. She wondered what questions they would ask, and what information they'd give her. She pulled her eyes away and twisted her body so she was facing the expanse of ocean. White tips painted each breaking curl of surf, and the water glistened in the sun like a breathing sea of mercury. She savoured the view, until the heat of the day began to bake her skin, then she balled her fists and rose. It felt as if each bone in her body creaked and fractured, but she bore it and straightened and headed home. She counted them in the mirror. Thirty-eight of the angry, black boils dotted her naked body. Each one pulsed with its own small agony, a sample of what was to come. She hated them, and hated that her own wasted body was supporting them. She'd eaten a single tin of soup yesterday and had only managed it by forcing each quivering spoonful past her lips and clamping down until it drained into her gut. It had taken three hours, but the bowl was empty when she was done. Her stomach had bucked and bridled at the imposition of food, but she refused to vomit, telling herself she'd start again with a new tin if she did. Despite her efforts, she was still losing weight. Her usual plump, healthy curls had been whittled back, revealing the stark frame of her skeleton under a drapery of pale skin. Her head looked smaller and older, and she turned it, trying to catch a glimpse of her old self lurking in her features. She knew she was wasting time, but couldn't bring herself to step into the shower. She stared at her reflection, all energy diverted into the act of tolerating. 
After ten minutes she let her head roll to the left and her eyes fastened on the photo. She had moved it from the lounge room and propped it on top of the cistern where it could do more good. The three faces looked so healthy and youthful and she swallowed a dry sob that was part consuming love and part caustic resentment. She ground her teeth until her chin stopped shuddering, then pressed two fingers to her cracked lips and touched them to the glass. She stepped into the shower and picked the scalpel up from where it waited on the ledge. She kept the frosted doors open, looking through the gap to the photo frame opposite. The blade dipped into the swollen flesh around a boil and she screamed. The outlet had become a necessity. The cry echoed off the tiles until it sounded as if a dozen women were screaming, and through the scraping of her nerves she thought that was appropriate, that there was enough pain for twelve. The shower floor was cold under her buttocks. The tiles were an icy lick against her shoulder, but she knew if she tried to stand she'd simply end up where she started. Already blood decorated the base of the shower like fallen rose petals, and she was only a third of the way through. Fifty-six of the parasites had risen to the surface of her skin during the night, and she had woken twitching from the electrical storm of pain crashing through her body. She didn't remember the trip from her bed to the bathroom. She knew she had passed out at some point because the clock beside her bed had jumped forward twenty minutes. She let her head loll onto the tiled wall, heavy with a fog of doubt. Every excruciating hour, she wondered if she was making the right choice. She spotted movement from the corner of her eye. A small black speck scuttled across the shower floor, pin-like legs rippling either side of a macroscopic segmented body, scurrying for a pool of her blood. Unrolled, she could see it resembled a cross between a crab and a lobster, all about the size of a peppercorn. She berated herself for a lack of concentration. She couldn't recall cutting it from her skin and felt sick at the thought of it getting into the drainage system alive. The scalpel was clutched between her fingers and she lowered it, ever so carefully, onto the creature. It squirmed as she pushed down, its hard exoskeleton pushing back. She laid her other hand over the one holding the blade and leant away from the wall, letting her weight fall through her arms. A splintering sound came from under the knife's blade and she sagged back onto the tiles. Her eyes drifted closed and she felt a looming wall of exhaustion teetering within her, ready to tumble down and bury her. She snapped her eyes open and located the next boil. The next day she woke to find 18 of the weeping black tip welts on her body. She made herself stand while she excised them, her legs bowing elastic, kept taut through strength of will. She ate a bowl of soup and forced two dry biscuits down into her shrunken stomach. Later she retched it all up, but she felt satisfied that her gut had absorbed some of the nutrients. She ate another two biscuits just to prove she could. Three boils. She counted them again, twisting her body to scan her back in the mirror. She ran her fingers over her legs and sunken buttocks and prodded her scalp under her layers of hair. Only three. She picked up the scalpel with something close to a smile. A single black welt squatted between her breasts, burrowed in the skin stretched across her sternum. The pain was no less as she twisted the scalpel but she took satisfaction in having to do it just once. The absence of pain woke her, and she muffled her laughter with a pillow. 
Three days after her recovery, the officials declared the quarantine lifted. Tegan stood on the pebbly asphalt of the main road with half the small town's population around her. The air was festive as people exclaimed at finding each other, some crying and others laughing as they compared scars and hugged. In small, tight pockets, people wailed upon hearing of those who didn't survive. A wrinkled hand squeezed her forearm and Tegan started, following it to find the old woman from Martin's store grinning at her with wet eyes. She wrapped her arms around Tegan and pulled her close, and Tegan found herself surrendering to the embrace, collapsing into the woman's soft curves and spicy scent like a newborn foal against its mother's hide. They parted after a minute, and Tegan sniffled as she smiled back at the elderly woman. Well done, she said, holding each of Tegan's hands. You did it. Tegan struggled to speak around the clot in her throat, but managed to soggy. Thank you. The woman kissed one of Tegan's fists, patted her knuckles where her lips had touched, and then disappeared amongst the crowd. The shouted calls of the town folks became muted whispers and then silence, as wooden barricades were carried away and loaded into a nearby truck. The two police cars that had been parked to block the road rumbled to life and moved in slow curls off the pavement, leaving the way clear. Someone shouted near the front of the crowd, and then others joined in as far-off dots of buses appeared on the horizon. They grew in size, slowly, ambling closer in fractions of degrees. She felt nervousness flutter like a caged bird in her stomach and put her hand to her mouth to stop her lips from trembling. Soon the sound of the convoy's engines drifted in and people began to shuffle their feet in rhythm to the rumble. After ten minutes the first bus closed the distance, pulling to a stop in a cloud of dust to the side of the road. Doors banged open, and the previously evacuated townspeople stumbled out like fish escaping a net. Names were called, people pushed in amongst the crowd, and shouts layered over the noises until everything was a cacophony of excitement and sweet sadness. Tegan spotted the newly blind being escorted down the bus's steps, still clumsy with their unaccustomed disability, to rejoin those they had left after receiving their treatment. She bounced on the balls of her feet, eyes scanning the interlocking weave of arrivals and greeters, trying to pick the faces. Other buses were disgorging their patrons, the crowd swelling as the two halves of the town embraced. Then she saw him, a hand spanned taller than most, head darting like a bird's as his wide eyes searched for her. She barked out a cry and he turned, his face collapsing in relief when he recognised her. He disappeared as he bent, then reappeared with a small boy balanced on his hip, She could see her son talking into his father's ear, a gabble of happy words. The man picked his way through the crowd in short bursts that seemed to take too long, and then, in a blink, she was holding her family and crying. His forearm was a bar of strength along her back, and a short, chubby arm encircled her neck, and she could hear her son saying, We found you, Mum. It was five minutes before they broke. He put the boy down, then turned to her, and she found his lips with hers, and their kiss was desperate. He stroked her deflated cheek with a large hand and muttered her name, and she nodded to show she heard him. She squatted and held her son's face between her hands, tears splashing her cheekbones and dripping from her chin. Her jaw ached from her smile as she savoured her boy's features, eyes dancing from brows to lips to nose and lashes. After a minute, he squirmed. Mum, stop looking at me like that. No, she grinned. She kissed his cheeks and he giggled. Then she picked him up and looked into her husband's face and saw the anguish in his eyes. She knew he was absorbing her wasted visage, her ageing scars, the brown stains under her bloodshot eyes. 
I'm not much to look at, she said, but I swear I'm better. He shook his head. You're beautiful. You sure you're okay? I watched all the interviews of those who got the treatment. He swallowed. I don't know how you did it. How was it, honestly? She took his hand and pulled him through the milling mass towards their car. She kissed her boy again and squeezed her husband's hand, looking at him and loving the familiar alignment of his features. Worth it, she replied. Thanks for listening to this month's short tale. I hope you enjoyed it. Now to finish this episode off, Jono and I are going to have a quick chat to find out where the idea for this story came from and any challenges he faced while writing it. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Johnny, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. I've obviously read a lot of your stories over, yes. over our- Probably my number one yeah, reader well, at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've, uh, we've shared a life together. So yeah, I've read- Every one of your stories, yeah. probably. But this one is one of my favorites. I think it's it's it really amplifies what you're really good at, which is sort of I think your your strength is really descriptive writing and really um, helping the reader engage so thoroughly in the in the moment. Which for this story is especially powerful because I think this story is like a really great example of a story that is equal parts disturbing but inspiring. Um, and I think that it's well titled in the name of persistence because obviously that's that's 100% what it's all about. Um, but anyway, to get things started, let's start at the start. So where did the idea for this story come from? Well, as you are aware. I already know the answer. <laughs> you know the yeah. answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, this was fun actually. So obviously you were teaching, I believe, at the time and mm-hmm. you, we were having a great conversation about story prompts. Yeah. Um, and as as an exercise, I said, oh, it would be great if you could give me a story prompt mm-hmm. and um, we could see what I could come up with. So... You gave me three pieces of information from that. I built this story. Um, And, yeah, it's just so interesting how story prompts help so much. Yeah. I think it always comes down to choices, you know. And we have, as writers, you have, of course, the blessing and the curse of you can literally write anything. Yeah. You can (laughs) do whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, that's often a hardship. Uh, I remember reading uh, a study and they basically gave people – 
one group of people three choices. Mm-hmm. And from those choices, they're allowed to choose one. It was uh, candy bars or something. Yeah, yeah. And then the second group were given an assortment of 20 candy bars mm. and they were told that they could choose one candy bar. Yeah. And the second group were then also given the option of said, okay, but if after you've made your choice, you're allowed one more time to go back and right. choose a different candy yeah. bar. Yeah. Uh, and there was a certain percentage that did go back and, and mm. quite a high percentage from memory. And then they asked the two groups, how satisfied were you with mm. your choice? Mm. And un- unsurprisingly- the first group were mostly very satisfied with their choice. They had right. three options. They chose the one they wanted. They were very satisfied. Whereas the second group, having all these choices and being allowed to choose again, mm. were very dissatisfied. They felt a certain percentage felt they had made the wrong choice. Right, right. And I think in some ways this is this is a really good example of of the burden of choice. Yeah. We we doubt what we've done and should we have done it this way, should we have done it that way? Mm. So having a story prompt can just sort of really help narrow your focus mm. and get you Writing, which yeah. is obviously step number one. Yes. Get yeah. that, get those words down on the page. But it also means you don't overthink. You mm. go, well, I'm working within the confines, so I don't have to go and wonder about all the different options. Yeah. I can just go with what I've got yeah. and work from, from there. And I, I found it great. So to, to not leave people in anticipation, the three <laughs> prompts that you gave me, yeah. you said uh, you gave me a, a location, which mm. in this case was a small country seaside town. Yep. You gave me a character detail, which I think at the time you said it's basically the character is you, but the gender has been swapped, yep. which was also an interesting experiment because mm. I'm like, ah, who am I? Yeah, yeah. That's often, <laughs> yeah. I've done another activity where just as a warm-up activity, we try to get our students to describe themselves, just mm-hmm. do like a character profile, but of themselves. Yes. And it's way harder than just doing yeah. it about anybody else. It's the hardest thing. And then yeah. the idea for that one is then, all right, now- Flip that and write a character profile for everyone that's the opposite of whatever you wrote for yourself and now write a story where those two characters have to interact. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I agree. Uh, me saying that, I think I, I thought, oh, this will help you just narrow in, hone in yeah, on the character. Yeah, I don't have to think too which hard. Which it kind of does, but it actually <laughs> but- all of a sudden you're like having an existential crisis <laughs> yeah. about yourself. I don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that was that was fun. I liked yeah. it. And then the third detail uh, was the theme, which yeah. in this case was persistence, Yeah. Um, which is a theme you and I both love. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so and, and then I obviously took it as the title because yeah. I wasn't feeling particularly creative when it came <laughs> to the title. But, no, I do love this theme, and, and thank you for what you said earlier about the, that combination of sort of unsettling but mm. inspiring because I think that's what inspired persistence stories about persistence right so often do and i think again we've quoted stephen king before but yeah he is a very good example yeah. um in, in some of his stories where you know the the protagonists really come through at the end mm. um and i love those stories yeah. i love a character that no matter what is thrown at them mm. they stand their ground because they just believe it's the right thing to do yeah yeah and the consequences may come that yeah. they might not win but they're prepared to even deal with that because for them, the idea of sticking to their values yeah. is more important than, yeah, than basically yeah. anything. And I love a character like that. There's something about mm. that that gives me hope of humanity. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Well, I think that's really great referencing Stephen King because as you were reading this, I was thinking, oh, this is such a great example of a horror story. Mm. Um, not uh, Maybe not a traditional horror story in the sense of there's an obvious monster or scary thing or ghost or whatever, but in the sense that it's doing what the way I think I, I would define a horror story in a lot of ways is just that the stakes are elevated really, really high. Mm-hmm. Really, like to me, that is the the definition of a horror story is just like for a regular story, the stakes are, are here. Mm-hmm. And then for a horror story, we raise them. We put our characters 
through hell to mm-hmm. get the thing that they want. Yeah. They still have all the regular story beats. They still want a thing. They go have to have, to have strength of will to achieve it. Yeah. Um, and then they either do or they don't. And there's usually a price to be paid. But for horror stories, the price is extreme. Right. That's what makes them horrific. Yes. Um, and yeah. so, yes, that can mean having to face literal demons or it could mean ha- your body getting, you know, put to this extreme test of pain and endurance um, and, and fortitude and will to, to get through it. Mm. So, yeah, I think this is a really great example because I think for most horror stories, at least hopeful horror, and again, I could talk about this all day and yeah, yeah. obviously have plenty of times, but I think for hopeful horror, which is definitely the kind of horror I like, yes. I don't like no hope horror. Absolutely, yeah. The The real test is, yeah, how much pers- how much perseverance, how much persistence do our characters have? Do they have the strength of will to yeah, get through this? To survive this? And if it's hopeful for horror, then ultimately, yes. And so, again, like horror still has happy endings. Obviously, we get the nice happy ending. For sure, here. yeah, she yeah. She gets re- reunited with her family. And, it's, yeah. and, you know, I love your line of, you know, how bad was it really? And she just says, worth it. Mm. That's beautiful. That's showing, yes, persistence has the reward. You yeah. do get rewarded for persistence. That's the tie into this theme. That's sort of what you're what you're exploring. Um, so, yeah, I really think you've done a great job with that theme. Now, one thing I also want to ask you about is obviously I just gave you those prompts, but that's mm-hmm. that that does sort of put a few boxes around your story sure. and, and you've got to write to that brief. But then the rest of it is yours. Yeah. So quite appropriately, and the listeners can probably hear this, you and I are both quite sick at the moment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Here we yeah. are. Uh, which is, yeah, weirdly very appropriate for this story. <laughs> uh, not that it affected her vocal cords so much, but you and I, yeah, we've both lost our voices in the last few days and have just slowly been getting them back to this beautiful croaky- It really adds a, a <laughs> yeah, tone yeah. to exactly. the story. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I guess I want to ask, uh, yeah, like I said, I gave those props, but that was about it. So where did the idea of this- infection this infestation this parasite come from so i uh, at the time of writing this i was working as a nurse which is my my professional background um and of course i deal with a lot of patients with various infections and i think basically my brain went down the line of okay we have bacterial infections Mm. we have viral infections we have fungal infections fungal infections of course being spores and plant life Mm. uh and then technically we already do have things like worms so we are infected by parasites and part of me thought okay what what other infection mm. could there be? And I, I think I just had the image that of that black boil and right. at its core it being a sea creature. Yes, because uh, obviously the seaside setting. Exactly. Yeah. And the seaside setting definitely fed into that. Yeah, that helped narrow it down. But I think there is something so unsettling Ooh, yeah. about the ocean and some yes. of the animals in the ocean, yes. particularly when you look at like the hull of a boat and yeah. you see those little things nestled in mm, the wood or mm, whatever. Great. And that image is just so creepy. And I thought, yeah, what if that was our what bodies? Else? What yeah. if they were, yeah. instead of wood, they were burrowing into it was us. Yeah, lovely. So that that sort of inspired that. And I think that was basically the premise for what is she, you know, what is she persisting mm. against? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other sort of core tenant of this story was a bit of a <coughs> would you rather. Right, right. But a rather horrific one, which yeah. was would you rather risk death? Yeah. Not guaranteed, but risk yeah. death. I think it was like a one in four chance given the numbers you Given said. the percentages, yeah, yeah. right? So that's your odds. Or would you rather have your vision taken but you're guaranteed survival? Yeah. Because, and I like would you rathers because- particularly ones like that, I don't know how That's I a really answer. tough one. One in four is not yeah. great odds. Yeah, Pretty stupid. Like yeah. vision, <laughs> you know, compared to death, you'd yeah. think, well, fuck that. But mm. a life without vision would be you would have to fundamentally alter your existence. Yeah. Uh, and I tried to give you a few examples. Obviously, the the, the pages were booked, so, yeah. uh, of the book were blank, sorry. So you couldn't 
you couldn't read books anymore in the yep. traditional fashion. You couldn't look at the faces of your loved ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot and mm. like the repercussions of blindness are just so far reaching. Yeah. Yeah. You, could you tie your shoelaces? Right. Could you make yourself a bowl of cereal? Yeah. I mean, probably with practice, yes. but, yeah, yeah, you know, you would suddenly become very dependent. And, and this is – so, yeah, I like that idea of posing a question that even I'm, I'm like, yeah. it is a tough call. Yeah. I don't yeah. know which way I'd waver. Yeah, and I like that it is such an extreme um, cost because it kind of has to be. Like, I think if it is anything less, you go, well, the decision's too easy. Yeah, why, death is why so are you risking permanent. Death? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, she's she's really taken a big gamble there. Yeah, and yeah. she's obviously gambling with her, her son and her husband. Yeah. But that's also part of it because she's not just persisting against this illness, she's persisting mm. against uh, her her decision. Yes. Is she going to stick with her decision? Right. Obviously, the option's always there. She could go to that surf club at any point yeah. and get the treatment. So I liked adding that element to the, the theme and seeing what is this character going to do. Yeah, um, yeah. And then my next question was going to be around, I think this is quite well structured, it's quite a tight story i think it came in around four thousand words correct yeah which is great because you've uh, to me short stories that's kind of the trick with them mm. um in the sense obviously you can have longer short stories than that but i i think that's a really nice length to give us this complete little meal mm-hmm. that has your beginning middle and end and maybe you kind of want you if you really if you enjoyed it and you you really got into the story you might want more sure but that's where you want to leave exactly. our readers exactly right? leave yeah. wanting that bit more and i think for a lot of my young writers and adult writers, they they struggle writing short stories because mm. they just want to keep going and exploring, yeah, and searching yeah, and all the rest. Absolutely, and I get it. I, I have the same thing where every story I start writing is like, oh, maybe this is a novel, and you're like, yeah. they can't all be novels, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, as well as some don't have the legs for novels, and you know, you've really just got one good idea. And yes, you can add more ideas to it and flesh it out, and probably could make it into a novel. But sometimes you're actually just disservicing that original idea. I agree. I yeah. think that's it. I think often with novels, we, we want to write them because we invest so much into our characters. Mm. We have all these beautiful, you know, things we want them to go through and experience. Yeah. But a short story to me, it's of course about character, but it's also almost in a bigger way. It's about the idea. The short yeah. story is I have an idea, I'm going to follow it through to its end, mm. and then I'm going to cut it off, yeah. which is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Whereas obviously a novel is... Ugh, hundred ideas yes. coming together, yeah, yeah, weaving yeah. together. But, yeah, and I quite like that about a short story because I think if you can get into that mindset and say, no, 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 I'm going to just really narrow down to this mm. one idea, you get to really enjoy that mm. because, you know, it's so fun to have this spark of an idea. Yeah. And sometimes when you, you are working it into your novel, it's obviously one amongst a hundred and yeah. so you sort of find its place and then you find its chapter or whatever. Right. But with a short story, you get to just really savour that idea find all the nuances of the mm, idea mm. or the different beats and then just let it be, just let it yeah. be its own thing. Yeah, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. All right, last question for you. Any challenges you faced while writing this one? Yeah, I mean, sure. Every story has challenges. Um, I didn't want to overwrite it. That was mm. a challenge. Mm. Uh, you know, particularly you said it's a highly descriptive story. It's always a risk, you know, you're enjoying, you're trying so hard to create this atmosphere for mm. your readers and trying so hard to... For me, I always think of it as like I want it to be like a truth. Yeah. As in a person reads and goes, yes, that is the truth. That is how it yeah. would feel were I to have to cut crustaceans from my body, right. whatever the case right. may be. <laughs> yeah. But the risk then is in overriding, you know. Sure. You, you just think, oh, but if I could give this little detail, maybe that would make it feel more real and truthful. Yeah. So that was definitely a challenge. And I definitely went through a few edits hacking, you know, yes. that usual yeah. thing of kill your darlings and going through and just thinking, I've I've basically expressed this idea in a previous mm. sentence. Yeah, yeah. I don't need it in there twice. Yeah, that was hard. Um, 
And the other thing I would say that was challenging was not giving it all away up right. front, trusting my reader. Obviously, you start, you're just jumping straight into the action. You've got Tegan cutting it out. You don't know what's going on. Then yeah. she's at the store and this man's talking, Martin is talking about mm. this treatment. And you go, what is this treatment and why is she reluctant to get it? You know, there's lots of little beats. And obviously, hopefully by the end, you've got the full story and you've enjoyed discovering it along the way. Um, which is a good story. That's the stories I like to read. Mm. I like authors who trust me to, to keep up. But, of course, as a as an author, you worry that people are going to get bored because they're like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, you threw me in here and I'm just floundering <laughs> a little bit. So, yeah, just, just having that trust in my readers yeah. to just go, no, no, no. By the time they get to the end, all the pieces will be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't give details at the start just to sort of – help them along, hold their right. hand. throw exposition at them. Exactly, yeah, drop yeah. in some exposition and give away a nice twist or a nice sort of reveal yes. later yeah. on, yeah. Uh, much more satisfying 100%, for, yeah. the, for the writer and for the reader. So, yeah, that was also a bit of a challenge. I'd yeah, say. nice one. Yeah, and I think it works really well here where, yeah, and again, I also think for a short story, throwing us in the deep end yes. at the start works yeah. really well. It, one, it just means the story moves a lot faster. Amen, yeah. Um, but it, I personally love that. It's the two plus two. And then letting them figure out four. Mm. And it, as a reader, it's always satisfying, mm. you know. Mm. And I think as long as the story is engaging enough in its beats, even if you're like, well, I don't fully know what's happening, but I'm enjoying yes. reading Absolutely. what I've written so far. So I think that's sort of the trick there is like, yeah, just as long as they're still going, wow, I'm, I'm curious and I'm interested, mm. great, they'll keep going. Yeah. 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 Steven Erickson uh, is a fantasy author. He's a great example of that. He throws you in the deep end mm. and it takes a good half of the first novel. <laughs> right. And he continues it throughout the whole series. If yeah. anyone's ever read, this is the Malazan Book of the Fallen series I'm mm. talking about. And half the time, honestly, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> because it's such a complex world he's built. Right, right. But his characters are so much fun. It's exactly what you just said. You're yeah. kind of like, okay, I trust you, one, that you'll yeah, feed it yeah. to me. And he does. He, he comes through. But his characters are just such a joy to run, run mm. along with. You're like, oh, well, I'm having a good time anyway. And yeah. when the pieces come, I'll have an even I'll put the time. jigsaw together yeah. and it'll be fine. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a good example. Nice of that, well, thanks so much, John, for sharing your story. Having, uh, it's having been a, a pleasure, mate. Yeah. Thank you for having me on your podcast. A genuine treat, genuine treat for me. One, because I love you. And yeah, two, because I, I love this love story. And yeah, always love chatting story with you. All right, well, those are all our thoughts. But if you have any you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Midday Pajamas. As for Jono, you should check out his website, jonathanrob.com. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Robb. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.